Lights. Camera. Action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and we have TK in attendance today too. Back in business with the crime bracket, and on the agenda this week we have 2001's Made versus 2016's The Nice Guys. How are we doing today? Excellent. It felt good to hear that theme tune again. It's been a while. So good. Got to hear it twice. Yeah, well, Keenan, it's been four weeks since our last recording. I assume you're feeling rejuvenated, refreshed, and raring to go. None of the above. <laughs> Not even one of the above. Not even. When, when, when have I ever felt raring to go? For I felt we'd made a breakthrough the last few weeks. Well, the last few. We've not been doing the podcast. The few, the few <laughs> weeks mean, prior well, to that. Probably, probably do the maths now. Um, no, I'm okay. Has it really been that long? It has. December the 9th was the last one uh, we recorded, so rounded what down have I a bit. What Well, we did a Christmas one, and oh, then yeah, we right had on. our yearly meeting, and then we actually met twice in three days, so treat for you. I know, I And then it. it was uh, the end of year Protect Your Neck pod, slash okay. you were ill, so mm, yeah, worked. Yeah. Oh, look at so there we go. Back in business. As always, the way we'll start things off, I have a bit of news for you. Aaron Taylor-Johnson has had promising meetings with the James Bond producers. Thoughts? Is that a kid I kick ass? It is, and he's in Bullet Train, if you've seen that. I have not. Is that the Brad Pitt one? Yes, it is, yeah. yeah. You'd enjoy that. Yeah, as I've been told, I've just—I was to be honest, I didn't want to pay for it, so I'm just waiting for Amazon to. It's already on Netflix in America, so they're a bit of outrageous. Mm. Yeah, I'm hoping it drops onto it drops onto Prime or some somewhere something along those lines. Yeah, he was in the most recent Kingsman. He was in Nocturnal Animals, which is a weird experience if you ever get to see that. Is he not in X Men as well? That sounds about right. He's in Avengers. Yeah, he plays Quicksilver. Yeah, he is got. A, he's got another something else lined up in the Marvel universe as well. So he came back and did One Division, and then they teased that he was going to be coming back, and then it was kind of an inside joke. But yeah, he's got a lot on the go. Yeah, he's got. But he is actually just a separate role. He's got something else lined up as well. I remember. I read it the other day now. Okay, um, obviously, yeah, uh, please enough people there. Must have done. Yeah, he's been in a whole host of things, but interesting when wouldn't have been the name we'd have been expected. Is he American? No, no, he's English. Is it? Oh. Yeah, from Buckinghamshire. I did see uh, a post recently where they said they've taken this long to get their casting that some of the names that are originally in the frame are now too old to play James <laughs> Bond. Yeah, it's been around. It's been a question for a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, we all knew. We we you knew Daniel Craig was on his way out, fucking ages ago. 
I'm getting a bit of echo from one of you. I'm not sure which one it is. So I guess whichever one of you can't hear it, then you may have to turn yourself down a little bit. Um, Rian Johnson says, Glass Onion's character like next to Elon Musk was a horrible, horrible accident. I read... Um... I read, uh, actually, funny enough, I read some of that with him and Daniel Craig today in Esquire uh, on their website, and it was quite a nice, quite a nice little interview, actually. Chances are Daniel Craig just had a great time making it. Yeah. He looked like he had a great time. Yeah, he just honestly, he was just like, yeah, he, he was like, it's really fun to do. We had a lot of fun on set, but every time it clicked go, everyone was on their A game, and he was like, basically, to paraphrase, he was like, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> I think he said that one of the greatest compliments recently to the work he's done with those films is he was recognised in the street and someone referred to him as being from Knives Out rather than James Bond. <laughs> Blimey. And so he said that was that's the aim, essentially, to if he can have another character on yeah. the level of James Bond, then he's done something correctly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, At least you can age into that character as well, can't you? Whereas yeah. A little bit difficult for like a 65-year-old Bond. A little bit trickier. Yeah. <laughs> A Harry Potter reboot is rumoured to be in the works at Warner Brothers. The alleged talks include recasting the main characters in the original Harry Potter films. Do you need it? Yeah, what? <laughs> what? So I don't believe it's they're literally going to do the films again, but they're going to take the characters from the main films is the point of the the larger article. But Either way, my question stands... They'll do a gritty remake well, where like, so, Harry's on drugs and mine is up with Duff. Effectively, it's been pointed out to them that it's still one of the largest money-making franchises in the world. And no, I know. they just aren't doing enough with it. Like the Fantastic Beasts films didn't capture people's imaginations in the way that they thought they would because people ultimately want Isn't to see that... the characters they're familiar with. No, I get that. But to me, that would be that's probably the indication of where that's going to go. I think you'll get something along the lines of like a Snape origin story, or you'll get something mm. like one of these spin off characters. You'll get something about Sirius Black's time, like behind the scenes. It'll be something along those lines, I imagine, but I don't think they're planning, like, they're not even casting yet. So it'll be a while down the line. There's all these TV shows they could do if they want to. They're knocking out. Um, they're knocking out a game at the end of the year as well, aren't they? It's actually. I think it's next month. Oh, is it? Sorry, I thought it was later on in the year. But that's obviously Warner Warner Brothers are, are big in big on that as well. So yeah, there's a lot of stick about that game. Is there? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I feel ridiculous. These words are going to leave my mouth, but <laughs> they say that the creators are taking a shot at unions through the treatment of the goblins at Gringotts Bank. <laughs> I swear to you, this is a genuine thing. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I fucking hate the world we live in. <laughs> do, you know I, do you know what I thought recently? I was I was thinking about you. I don't know how concerned you'll be about that. But <laughs> Mildly. I, I was thinking, I think maybe the most I've heard you laugh the whole time we've done this was when I told you John Leguizamo was concerned about the lack of diversity in the in the new Bar- in the new Mario film. <laughs> what a fucking idiot! Oh man, fuck, uh, just what it was so unexpected. That, the bullshit that comes out of people's mouths these days is fucking outrageous. And this is this is someone who essentially this comes from someone who essentially, as a profession, is elected to be a bullshit artist. 
<laughs> like, and just the shit people come out with. <laughs> and what makes it worse is that him as a Mexican man was in the original. <laughs> like, him, he did one with Bob Hoskins. Now, yeah, as Luigi. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, uh, uh, and and like Bob Hoskins, rest in peace, great actor. But to my knowledge, not a lot of it. Not a lot of Italian descent in there. I get the impression a lot of people within Hollywood don't like Chris Pratt, and I think that's probably closer to the mark of why he's so annoyed. It, to, to be honest, mate, I just think it's the fucking nightmare of a world that we've we've walked into. Maybe there was a fit with Chris Pratt, and sometimes you look at the background of these people. And I mean, it's not for us to tell them what they should and shouldn't believe in, but he kind of they would ask American celebrities, "Do you support Donald Trump?" And the ones that didn't deny supporting Donald Trump would just get cooked. And Chris Pratt was one of them. And for a while, people were just going in on him. And then they realized they like Marvel more than they dislike him. <laughs> I uh, I watched Chris Pratt play. I watched like genuinely this is on this is on YouTube. Um, Chris Pratt play, played a round of golf with Bryson DeChambeau. Okay. Apparently, apparently they're pals. Um, Honestly, seems all right. I mean, if there's a reason to dislike him, it's probably that Jurassic Park franchise. Never seen it. <laughs> probably for the best. You may um, recall my thoughts on Jurassic Park, and they're less than positive. So, yeah, Bruce Willis objected to John McClane's personality in Die Hard Two. Director Rennie Harlan says, looking back on the experience he had shooting the film, he said Bruce had turned from a moonlighting TV star to a movie star overnight with one movie. And it's not uncommon that when actors get into that position, they sort of develop different goals. So Bruce had this notion from the beginning that he wanted to now play John McClane totally straight, that the movie had to be 100% serious. He said, Bruce told him, those one-liners and jokey comments, that's bullshit. With lives on the line, you can't say that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, like, again, a fucking ridiculous statement, but I get it. Because he, he, right. he's right, isn't it? That's what's happened. And he was trying to tee himself up for probably not the career that he ended up with because he did a lot. He's obviously done a lot of action films and stuff. So he's probably trying so to get into something. He got to the bigger. point where they had to sit down with who I imagine would have been Joel Silver at the time. Mm. And the agreement was almost as if he was a kid. We will shoot 40 of the takes that you like as long as we can at least shoot one funny one. And then they just had to use effectively all they could muster with the funny takes that he wanted to use. And he just had to keep film rolling on Bruce Willis all times to even just get a smile or something like that, that they could chop into the film and work it that way. And then obviously the film is as successful as it is. And then... Do you think um, think that's got anything to do with the reason why people think it's the worst one of the three? But you ask anyone, they'll be like, yeah, number two is not great. Maybe I think what well, I people kind of we eliminate four and the other one, don't we? So it's essentially yeah. one, two, and three. Yeah. Um, I mean, people go one and three, great because three is definitely. It may a also just bit... be the strength of three. Maybe, um, but three is three feels much. Maybe it's the way they cast or the sort of that they give. Maybe that's where Samuel L. Jackson comes into it. Obviously, the race part of it is his thing, but Samuel L. Jackson has a lot of one-liners in the third one. Gives like it a boost, doesn't it? Yeah, he's there to be, and he is funny. It's like he just he, he 
seems like a very funny bloke to be honest, but he, he is funny in that film. Um, and maybe the point around it is that they added that in to give a little bit of levity if Bruce Willis still wanted to play, yeah, play it straight. I love the idea of Bruce going, well, there's lives on the line. I wouldn't be making these wisecracks. Like, that's the only unrealistic yeah. part of these films. <laughs> the director said he had to tell him, like, you're absolutely right, but we're also making a movie. Yeah. Like, you aren't <laughs> yeah, exactly. actually having to save these people. If we were actually sending you in to save lives, it'd be trickier. Yeah. Um, and then just finally, the movie anniversaries this year that I thought some of them knocked me back a bit. Wolf of Wall Street turns 10 this year. Yeah. Four. Kill Bill turns 20. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan, 25. Jurassic Park turns 30. Scarface turns 40 this year. Yeah. <laughs> and there's countless other ones, but we won't go into them. Keenan, just in terms of getting everything back on track before we get into our first film, for the pair of you here, I have the IMDB games. So whichever one of you chooses to go first, you'll get three. The other one will get two, and uh, we'll see how we do. So okay. who wants to answer the first question? Go on. All right. For anyone unaware of how this uh, mystical game works, I'll provide two films. You have to pick which one has the higher IMDB rating. Keenan, two films I know that you're a fan of. Firstly, a Serbian film. Second, Guru <laughs> Jack. <laughs> I meant TK to go first, to be honest. I was trying to be polite. Oh, nice pass. <laughs> yeah, we find ourselves. Because um, well, but... so, Keenan's experienced at this game. So, TK, you've got three, and we'll see if you can be uh, at least tie Keenan's score. That's fair. All right. Uh, a Serbian film has a higher rating. You're correct. 5.0 to a 4.5 tough on kangaroo jack something when i was looking through these because i don't think i'll be asking keenan about them in future the twilight films i always thought were film that popular when you know how successful they were they'd be rated quite highly they're the biggest blockbusters i could find to have like anything less than a 5.0 rating out there. <laughs> that is brutal uh so keenan 2005's Fantastic Four or Scary Movie 3? Scary Movie 3. Fantastic Four 5.7, Scary Movie 3 5.5. Yeah, seems like the right answer. I actually quite like them, by the way. Yeah, same. I know they got fucking destroyed, but I I quite like it. I mean, it's probably good for Chris Evans that they did get destroyed because if he's really successful as as Johnny, I doubt he gets... um, he might not get Captain America. Hopefully, Jess Alba gets the shout when they bring it back again. TK, Bad Neighbours or Johnny English? Bad Neighbours? 6.3 to a 6.2 for Johnny English. Oh. So, Keenan, you need these two to tie. No, you can't tie. Yeah. There you go. Um, Keenan, Role Models yeah. or Top Gun? Role Models? Oh, you've overthought it. Role models is a six point yeah. eight, which that being five points higher than Bad Neighbours is outrageous. Uh, Top Gun only a six point nine. I'll be honest, I have overthought it, but you you do have the tendency to 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 um to try and catch me out. But I feel he like comes through to that, doesn't he? Well, that's what we do because uh, I did one of these with Christmas films with Kieran, and he was looking at why well, I sent him the first weeks said that he would smash it and then did horribly. So not as easy as it looks. 
Yeah. TK, yeah. Joker or Back to the Future? Oh. Joker. It's two for three, I'm afraid. Joker's got an 8.4. Back to the Future has an 8.5. Fair enough. There we go. Let's move on to our first film of the day, and that is... Hello, room service? Made. Yeah, can I get a couple of cheeseburgers and two Heinekens, please? No, I'm Ricky Slade, but I'm actually staying in a... How did you know that? Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, they got computers, so you don't have to say what room you're in. They yeah, just I don't know how much it is, okay? But you, just so you know, Bobby, you don't have to say anything. They know where you're at. How much is it? Perfect. If it's up in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to tell you how I do right now. $10 tip. That's how I'm going to do it the whole trip. I'm setting a precedent now. How much so in is the future, it? when I call and I say that to how you. How much? Okay? All right. How much was it? It's 46, that's all. 46 plus 10. Yeah, but that's kind of, you have to tip people, Bobby. Whatever. Yeah, it's my fucking room. You don't give a shit. Two aspiring boxers, lifelong friends, get involved in a money laundering scheme through a low level organized crime group. You may be slightly confused there. That's where I'll usually play a trailer. Look, this one doesn't have a usable trailer. You have to make do with a film clip. Keenan, critics' reviews. What do you think they thought? No good. TK, you agree with Keenan? Yeah, I think they're going to be unforgiving here. <laughs> Not as good as Swingers, but it's still witty and goofy enough for some laughs. The plot seems to be nothing more than a translucent bridge to the next scene where Vaughn can run his mouth and Favreau can play off him as the long-suffering friend. <laughs> well written and well acted though your enjoyment will largely depend on how high your Vince Vaughn tolerance level is people are turning on Vince already yeah, tolerance level I'm dead. <laughs> won't take the team of Favreau and Vaughn beyond the audience they won with Swingers but for the converted it is equally confirming and rewarding so miscalculated and chafingly unfunny is this movie, it will leave you convinced that if the gangster comedy isn't killed off by actor-driven improv riffs like this, maybe it ought to be. Better dead than more like made. Blimey. That is how, scathing. How bad do you need to be where you're described as chafingly unfunny? Chafingly unfunny is a hell of a line. Sorry, I just saw Mason Mounts out for tonight. This title charge battering not That's much trivia here it's not i put in my fantasy team at the expense of uh, four points yes. i was confident um not much trivia here vince vaughn's dad vernon makes a cameo as the hollywood high school football coach hmm. and then gets asked how about me coach did i always have heart okay john favreau's grandmother joan cameos as a field trip guide in the scene in central park zoo the word fuck is used 274 times in this one hour and 35 minute film. That's 2.88 fucks per minute. Total <laughs> profanities are 343 or 3.61 per minute. I didn't even really think about it. I was just watching it. I did when I was taking down some quotes. <laughs> and then finally... Jason Delgado, the man who's using the payphone while Ricky and Bobby wait impatiently, was P. Diddy's assistant at the time. So you can see we're really maximizing our resources in this film. And we do have to say, a rare Rex Ryan Hall of Fame entrant in this uh, bracket, Keenan. P. Diddy well, surely makes the cut. 
Uh, yeah, he does. Has to. We're slim pickings in this one. We were debating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we we've been trying to scrape the barrel. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> I debated whether I could introduce Donald Trump on account of him being in Home Alone two, or if it had to be within the bracket. So we may have. Do you want Trump, P Diddy, and just? I mean, it's a hell of a night. I mean, I don't want a lot to do with Donald Trump, to be honest, mate. Uh, I, I, also... I bet for one evening you'd have a fantastic time. I see. I don't think you would. I'd quite like to play golf with a bloke, though, because <laughs> a he loves to play. I love to play, and also I want to know. Cause apparently, he just cheats like fuck. <laughs> like even before he was president, because obviously he was just playing on at his golf courses, and basically there's like stories of him just like cheating like fuck, and people are just like what 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 what, what do I do? <laughs> Are you going to tell him? No, I'm not going to tell him. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to complain to... Uh, we'll complain to the staff and stuff. Like, if you play in a tournament or a competition, <laughs> like, you'd go and complain to the pros and stuff. Who's going to tell him? Do you know what I mean? He physically owns it all. Kim Jong-un of the golf course. <laughs> Probably not the only comparison to Kim Jong-un. <laughs> um, the introduction, then, that we get to these two characters, we get... The fight between the two of them, and I may be pushing the limits here. Does Joe Goosen get an introduction to the Hall of Fame? He's the referee in this scene. I did clock that. Nice. That was nice. I don't know who that is. I take it it's a boxing referee. No, trainer. Train oh, okay. Corrales. No, I didn't. I never. You know, I like as much as I like boxing, I'm not straight up with it. As you are. I mean, Se- second ballot, maybe. If you want to induct him, look, you induct him. Everything that we kind of get in this mix, I guess in the first 15 minutes, is just telling you, as much as it's a different film here, you're getting the same characters that you that you fell in love with in Swingers, or at least enjoyed in Swingers. Yeah, I actually... They're just a bit more polished. Uh, and I think that's... I think that's one of the problems, right? Is this... Like I, I actually think the I think the opening of this film is probably is prob- probably up there with, with the better of it. Um, I think some of people's disappointment from sort of things I've seen, uh, and my own is, it is more polished than Swingers, but that's not not necessarily what you wanted or needed. No, so I I remember first watching Swingers. And I remember walking with TK, I think he may have seen it at this point, I'm not sure, and saying, when I was reading through the trivia, because I think as soon as I watched Swingers, we were talking about doing it on the podcast, and we still will at some stage, I'm sure. We will. But I remember reading someone saying, look, the unofficial sequel is a film called Made. Mm -hmm. And I believe the piece of trivia I read said, Vince Vaughn and Favreau are gangsters. And I was looking at it as more of a... I forgot the name of the film now. You were on for it as well, TK. It's uh, He's got to take the prisoner across the country. De Niro. Oh, Midnight Run. Run. Midnight Run. Minim- that was, Midnight I was envisioning Run. it as more of a, we've got to take this parcel across the country. and that Because I only read like a two-line little preview of it. Mm. Yeah. But I just thought, Favreau and Vince Vaughn in a gangster film, what, what can go wrong? That's, and I think that's... That's part that's formed a lot of my 
the forms a lot of my my sort of my angst or issues because I thought the same thing was this these two. What could go wrong? Big Vince doesn't really rarely puts a foot wrong in our eyes, does it? Exactly. When you put those two and you lay out this premise, you think, how can it go wrong? And yet, yeah. it kind of feels like they never quite knew like the tone to strike throughout this, I kind of felt. No, because I was going to save and ask what we thought of it. The tone in your voice, Keenan, did you dislike it or it just didn't meet expectation? Had you seen it before? No, not all of it. I'd seen... The two like clips online and stuff because when we were talking about swingers, I went another like went another look, uh, but I'd never seen it like start to finish. Um, no, I didn't dislike it wholly. Yes, I was a little bit disappointed. If, like I say, it's rare you're going to give me a Vince Vaughn film and let me watch the guy act, and I'm be like, oh, that's shit. I just happened to be oh, I just happened to be fully charmed by Vince Vaughn. Yeah, the, I feel like we've made it. We've made this very. I've made this clear before, and I really like John Favreau as well. Like I don't. There's not not Chef. Just just because a chance for me to speak about it. Chef is one of. He's honestly one of the best films I've ever seen. I love it. Well, I I covered this a little on the Christmas episode. I know you're I'm not a Christmassy man, but no. really the greatest success of this film is it showed film studios that he was a capable hand. He wasn't just someone that could direct this little tiny thing mm. with swingers because off the back of made he gets elf yeah fair point he um, he, he shows he, he can direct with made he comes on as a writer to just make some amendments with elf i'll paraphrase the story it's between him and terry zwigoff who goes on to direct bad santa he has the choice between elf and bad santa he says <laughs> i'm far more suited to this and they're then scrambling around and they've got this guy who's making all these changes to the screenplay and he kind of, they're giving him some temp work and he just keeps staying on until he finds himself in the director's seat. Mm. From Elf then he goes on and he gets involved with Iron Man. From yeah. Iron Man he gets involved with Disney, there's Lion King, Aladdin I think, and now he's like their head of Star Wars writing The Mandalorian and Boba Fett and he's one of the most sought after guys in the world of film. Exactly right. And so for any criticism of this film, that's really its legacy. I think one of the greatest issues with this film is when I was looking online and, I mean, I've got a handful of critics there, but if you put critics to the side, almost not enough people hated it. So there's a lot of people that just felt "Mm," about the film. There's definitely a portion of people out there that really love this film. And I read through today people saying it's the most quotable Vince Vaughn movie. It's better than Swingers. They just really jumped on from what they did and they love it. But then you read a bit deeper into what they're saying and it's, I used to love, I watched this with my dad. I had some great memories watching this. Or I was 17 when this came out and I watched this with all my friends and we watched it together. Mm. And it's far more centered around that and the memories and the quotables they've picked from it. I do think if I'd have watched this around the first time I watched Swingers, I think my opinion would be different. What if you watched it before Swingers? I think it, I honestly, I think if I'd have watched this this before Swingers, I'd be telling you that I fucking loved it. Because mm. there would be no, there's nothing, there'd be nothing in the back of my mind about the characters from Swingers. Because it's not even, it's not like their performances aren't turned down. I don't think that I don't think either of them are any no. better or any worse. I no. think they bring the exact same level 
I saw here than they do to swingers. I think it's just it's there, there's there's a pre there's obviously a preconception that you then you then sort of miss out on. There's a level to match, isn't there? And it's yeah, I, th- I think that's all it is. It's just the bars the bars have been set and it, you just haven't you've just dropped below it. And it, like I say, it's not I don't think this is bad. For for what it is, what's it, ninety ninety three minutes, whatever it is? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like for a ninety minute watch this is this is exactly what it's exactly what it should be. Well they they polish it around, don't they? Because this film doesn't work if Favreau is the reserved, shy, feeling sorry for himself guy that yeah. he is in Swingers. So yeah. this time around, they, they polish him round a bit and he's a kind of down-on-your-luck guy, but he's quite... He's cool rather than shy. Yeah, he's got more about him. And in turn, they have to really kind of amp up Vince Vaughn a bit. And he's an asshole in Swingers, but he's an asshole in the sense of like, with that's my asshole or that's my friend we can say that about him but you can't and it's only at the Mm -hmm. end of the film when he really realizes there's a couple of things he maybe dislikes about him this they just have to amp him up and it does work well they the balance is still right between the characters yeah no no i agree i'd like i say i don't think it's not like you look at one performance and the other they are obviously different but levels wise i think they're the same um but it's just, it, it is different. I think, is this the first time you see, this is probably the boldest you see Vince Vaughn, isn't it? Yeah, because the the run he has a bit further down the line is he's, I mean, he's your average Joe to go straight to dodgeball. Well, that's the kind of thing do? I don't know if he does anything pre, like in between, but obviously he does old school. Um, he does old school, then he does dodgeball, then he does wedding crashes, right? Old school also is nearly the thing that ruined Favreau's career. Really? When old school comes out, Will Ferrell becomes this megastar that everyone wants yeah. to see. He's just finished filming Elf with him. Uh... And the studio says, people want to see Frank the Tank. They don't want to see Will Ferrell in green tights being a lovable <laughs> Father yeah, Christmas yeah. Kai and behind his back they try and use everything they have out takes the lot to try and make it an R-rated comedy. Favreau out of his own money takes his cut around the country doing test screenings and then brings back meat on the table moment and says look what a hit I've made you and then Elf goes out but the reason Elf 2's never been made is John Favreau and Will Ferrell don't get on Oh, they don't get on at all. Okay, what they is that because of this, or was this just during the film and they just didn't Will, see eye to eye? Favreau was telling him the way he needed to play it, and Will Ferrell was so self-conscious that he wasn't being funny enough that it just ruined the experience. And even though it's turned out for the best, Phase on Love, who's actually in this as well, says. There's times where he's asking John Favreau, "I'll jump him if you want me to." Well, they do not. They did not get on, and so every time Favreau's been asked about Elf Two, and he says, "You know, I'd love to do it." You'll find Will Ferrell within about forty-eight hours doing an interview saying, "Not a chance." 
I won't do uh, that. He falls out with people though, Will. We've learnt this. We've yeah. fallen out with McKay. He's fallen out with John C. Riley. We've seen it. Yeah. Mm. Um, You realise that you are getting the Vince that you signed up for when they're mm-hmm. doing their work in the scene and uh, the guy's hitting him with the whip. Yeah. You got a horse outside, don't hit me with the whip. Gives Bobby's name. And to tell you the appreciation some have for this film, someone's actually broken down this scene to come up with their own fan theory. (laughs) They say within a 50-second period, the woman in this scene does look at Vince six times, six separate times in a 50-second period. (laughs) We're laughing at him. She may genuinely have wanted to sleep with him. <laughs> I don't know how many he times right you have to see the film to break it down because there's timestamps telling you every single time she looks back at his character. Well, there you go. Um, and he's doing his usual, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, how does he know it wasn't a family emergency when he's being kicked off the phone? I've been busting my ass all day. <laughs> And then we've got the scene with uh, them being told their job. Weird seeing uh, Famke Janssen in this as Favreau's stripper wife or stripper girlfriend. Is it? She was fucking everywhere in this period of time. I, I wasn't expecting to see her, mainly because there's actually just a lot of faces in this that for the budget Favreau talks about having. I don't expect to see P. Diddy popping up in this film. I don't expect to see her and some of these people that are more well-established now. I mean, half the cast of The Sopranos is in this film. Yeah. Because he met most of them while filming The Sopranos, partly. Yeah, fair. Yeah, I mean, it just seems to be 98 to 2000 and maybe even earlier than 98, but she was just like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We get the whole scene then together and then we get on the flight and effectively the film for me is I don't need them doing anything. I need it almost like a play, just have them set in a particular scenario and then just let them argue and bicker or do whatever for five minutes yeah. And then we move on. Uh, yeah, it's actually funnily enough. I I I almost have I almost have this, I have the same feeling about this and also the nice guys. Ooh, okay. Not for not to dislike, but my favorite part of, of that film, uh, my favorite part of both films tonight, is the dialogue between yeah. your two central characters. Yeah, spot on. The events <laughs> the events that happen are relatively good, relatively bad, and they're well shot etc etc but my favourite part of both films I meant to I don't know if I did text you last night my lord my memory is terrible um, but both films remind me almost as though the directors have looked at the looked at the scenes in Pulp Fiction in the car when Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson are speaking to each other and they're like that's what I want that back and forth I get what you mean although you can trace both guys back and they've been doing this like however long they say part of the success of made at the time is that it did come out in this time where tarantino has effectively made it that go out and see everything because you don't know what you're going to be stumbling across 
if you've mm. not heard of the guy, still go and see it. And the plane clip here is maybe my favorite scene in the film. Yeah, I've, and, I've uh, got it down as mine because I, I felt like it's just like too mundane a scene to be saying. But Vince in first class is just, you could even just say that and you're kind of already laughing already, aren't you? I've got a little clip for us to listen to. Yes. Hi. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I want to know where you're located. Where's your home? I operate out of Chicago. I'm Ricky Slade, by the way. It's nice to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you. And this is my friend here. This is uh, Robert Rossigliano. And what was your name? Terry. Terry. Here's what I'm going to ask of you. It turns out we're going to be spending the night in New York. So it worked out well for all of us. I want you to take it back to the business class. I want you to round up a couple honeys. At our hotel room, we're going to have kind of a pool party. Like a California gangster style, you know what I mean? Kick-ass pool party thing. Hey, listen, asshole. I don't care for the Sultan of Brunei. No man talks to me like that. Now you can either learn some manners, or I can make a formal complaint to the airport authorities and we can sort this out while you're waiting standby for the next flight to Kennedy. Okay, yeah. That could easily be any Vince Vaughn character of any film we ever <laughs> mentioned him being in. <laughs> and it is a scene like that that you sign up for. The whole thing before of him not understanding that the things are free on the flight. Strange comparison to make, and not the first time I've mentioned this film today. I'd actually compare it to the room service scene in Home Alone 2 because it's the, it's the vision that we've probably had, or maybe you haven't, about being on a first-class flight that we may or may not ever get to do for any particular reason. And the moment he realizes that, no, this is exactly how he hoped it would be, he's asking about the hidden tax does this fall under the complimentary upfront service or is that something you have to pay for? And then the, the classic film thing of taking a handful of drinks. And Favreau kind of being rightly cautious that, look, we've got a job to do when we get <laughs> off this plane. And Vaughn just being like, now nah, we can just get tanked and we can still do it. It's just... Well, he, he, says, doesn't he? he says, oh, you're right. They might need us to go up front and whack the pilot. <laughs> just the idea that they can just drink that much and then be instantly sober when they get the other end. There'll be no problems there. Well, I, I took a note down because something that I picked up on during the film is there's a lot of kind of mob tropes that uh, Vince's character kind of brings back up, which just points out that they aren't really a part of that life. Like he's talking later in the film about being whacked. And when he's <laughs> saying about, look, we go in this car ride and he's pointing out and saying, uh, I think he knows I sold the fucking van. He can't kill us in Los Angeles. There's lots of questions, but all of a sudden he flies us out to New York to do a drop. We don't know what's happened. If we disappear here, there's no questions. That kind of starts in this scene when he's going through it, but it's very good the whole way through. Yeah. One of the best aspects of Vince's cat is that he's insisting to Fabra that you've got to act like this because actually you're looking out of place. So you're going to be the one giving us away. I'm not so sure about that, Vince. I think you're probably the one who's causing this problem there, but he can't see it at all. In a similar vein to the clip on the airplane, him working out room service for himself and just settling into the hotel are like for the exact same reason. What does he order? Four cheeseburgers and two Heinekens or something like that, or two cheeseburgers, four Heinekens. Ten dollars tip, setting a precedent early <laughs> on. <laughs> well, the the concierge says to him uh, about a particular nightclub to go to, and he says it might be hard to get in there. Yeah. He says, Hey, look at me. You let me worry about that. <laughs> One of the best quotes of it, I think. 
ordering all the food on the wrong tab and then constantly the whole way through. Well, if you're, I'll pick it up if you want me to pick it up. I don't, I don't know why you're being like this about it, but <laughs> that's an offended, yeah. <laughs> you have it later with the waitress where he says, Here's 50 bucks, take this in case I get drunk and call you a bitch later. <laughs> <laughs> that is why it's very good. <laughs> The, the quotables are really the highlight yeah. of the film. Did you just let Screech in the fucking club? <laughs> the actor there says that was shouting at him for years to come. Not quite enough to be annoying, but enough that it could catch him off guard when it did happen. Bobby saying you're running around like a Puerto Rican on the 15th of the month. <laughs> Don't think you'd be able to put out a film really, I suppose. <laughs> Of so. And uh, the red dragon scene is another highlight. And it's classic Vince again. We don't want to talk, we want to scream at people, we don't want to listen to or problem solve. And that's what's just frustrating about this dynamic of the group. <laughs> Could not be describing himself more, really. <laughs> well, we've got P. Diddy saying, you're fucking with my money now. I don't like my money fucked with. It's. I'm not sure if I'll go back and rewatch the whole film. I'll absolutely go back and rewatch clips. When you finally let me do Swingers on the pod, I'll rewatch it. I contemplated watching Swingers yesterday in case there was anything I need to carry over, but I thought I'd probably end up speaking about Swingers more. Well, when you finally decide to let me do it on the pod, then we'll talk about it. I'm sure we'll get there. I hope so. Been asking to. Fucking like episode 90. What we got? We're on 163 here, so maybe on 200. <laughs> Fucking bad, mate. Um, what are your thoughts on the kind of... Uh, I'm not going to ask you about the ending ending, so I've got some que- questions for Keenan on that, but the, the shootout and how we get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> discussing breakfast and the types of toast to Charlie in a cubicle to a holdup in a bar. I was adamant that that guy was going to turn out to be a cop. Even though I'd actually seen this film before, I was thought this guy is obviously undercover cop fucking these guys over. No, no, he's also just an idiot like they are as well. (laughs) I wrote down in my notes to try and be clever at the start when he's going through all the rules and he's saying, do not let these pages run out of battery. Do not let them. I was for sure at one point they were going to miss the drop because their pages died or something along those mm-hmm. lines. I didn't get to feel as clever when that doesn't happen. But Big Puss from The Sopranos comes in to save the day. It's kind of like they didn't know how to end it and it was like, we need something big. We better have a shootout. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it did. I don't know the the shoot. I didn't exactly feel high stakes, did it? No, and it, it, then it wasn't a rusty bar. But it wasn't just like a comedy shootout either. So you kind of ended up again with the sort of the tone of it, kind of a bit in between. Yeah, uh, the actual ending, Keenan. I'm going to ask you to compare to one of our favourite ever endings to reference on here, and I'm not sure if you know where we're going with this. Um, no. Face off, and how's your dead son, Sean? <laughs> now, Nick Cage takes home the son of the bad guy he's killed in yep. that film, and we're expected to just, yep, fair enough. Everyone <laughs> lives happily ever after. It's not quite the four Christmases ending. It's John which, Travolta who does that, by the way. 
okay, there we go. Well, while looking for a review of Made, I did see Four Christmases referred to as the worst Christmas film ever, which I take real <laughs> issue with. Is that the Vince Vaughn, Reese Witherspoon one? It is. Favreau's in there as well. Is it? Yes. Okay, okay. As uh, Vince's brother, who's an MMA fighter. Now, in this film, Favreau gets home. His missus is doing blow with another guy. (laughs) He mentions her daughter. (laughs) She says, take her. Yeah, and he's just like, all right, son. He takes her, meets up with his boy, we're shown that they're still mates. And I feel like we're strangely supposed to think that everyone's a winner here. I mean, the kid is the ultimate loser. <laughs> it's a tough choice for the kid. <laughs> the future yeah, doesn't look too great either way, does it? Yeah, it's rough for the kids, to be honest. So my question is, who has a happier ending? I mean, the guy in face-off. It's the rest of the family who suffer that. I, it's yeah. the, it would, in terms of the children. Oh, in terms of the children, I think the daughter in this got fucking. She's got way worse off. Imagine Tweedledum and Tweedledee as your two dads. I um, mean, you're living with the guy that murdered yours in Face Off. Is what it is. Uh, your dad was a bastard as well. It's not like he's got like a lovely dad who was murdered. He was, you know. And his and her mum's a bastard in this. Probably less so, though. So effectively, and probably killer either. No, we're weighing up Travolta versus Favreau. Although the one thing I will say that's rough for Travolta's new son is they're just like, yeah, we're just writing <laughs> yeah. like dead dead son's room that we haven't changed. But they're all loving it as well. Yeah, it's, it's, our family's whole again. Yeah, weird. So where's the social in all this as well? Not getting involved <laughs> in either of these cases. No, as Dan Child Protective Services are lax. You're looking at Vince and Johnny. You know what? Yeah, they'll, they'll look after a kid. Everything in this film suggests they're suitable parents. Well, he says, we're going to go on a trip for a few weeks. So that strikes me as they're not going to be staying in any one place. They're going to be moving around. She's not a school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tough. But we do know that any issues the boys had, they've forgiven each other. Yeah. Everyone's a winner. Or not, as the case may be. Well, I think that I think they're trying to tell us everyone's a winner. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sold. <laughs> I mean, on that note, does anyone have anything else to add before we move on to the nice guys? Uh, no. I think we probably covered made, didn't we? All right, nice guys. I'm not in the yellow pages, but if you got trouble with someone, you might ask around for me. I'm a detective. My profession is very complicated. That's a lot of blood. What the hell's going on? There's a guy coming to kill us. Can you behave like a professional? Sorry. Look at the bright side. Nobody got hurt. People got hurt. I'm saying I think they died quickly, though. The Nice Guys. Rated R. May 20th. In 1970s Los Angeles, a mismatched pair of private eyes investigate a missing girl and the mysterious death of a porn star. <laughs> Keenan, what do you think the critics thought of this? Uh, yeah, good. The Nice Guys is a jubilant, gritty, and guilt-free lark. As a critic, it's so satisfying to see a film that serves as both strong filmmaking and popcorn-munching entertainment. 
Ryan Gosling excels as a feckless and cowardly private investigator in a buddy comedy full of wit and energy. Funny and even thrilling by times, but its greatest trick is to make you fall on side with these two not always so nice guys. With outrageous situations and sharp dialogue, Shane Black is someone who has perfected the buddy cop formula and in The Nice Guys, it's an absolute blast. Finally, through the writing and direction, Black has taken something familiar and given it its own identity. We get the best of his cinematic obsessions raking in the top tier of his filmography, ranking in the top tier. Now, I hope you hadn't forgotten this feature in the time we had off Keenan it's time for an IMDB deep dive Ooh, that's my favourite thing Shane that's Black cool. is where I want us to start today Okay. directed five films Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer yep not sure if either of you have seen that I haven't I think you'll like it I wasn't a fan initially, but probably do owe it a rewatch. Okay. People would say it's probably the most similar thing he's done to this. Okay. He also directs Iron Man 3, a TV movie called Edge, uh, The Nice Guys, and the 2018 Predator movie, where the only positive really was Olivia Munn. Is that the one with Adrian Brody in it? It is, yeah. yeah. He has two films in development, Play Dirty, the synopsis follows Parker, a craftsman and professional thief who approaches his job with a straightforward, no-nonsense work ethic, and he is also deadly. Robert Downey Jr. is attached to that one, and is also working on Doc Savage, the man of bronze who was raised from childhood by a team of scientists to become the original superhero of the 1930s. A man of great mental and physical strength, he went around the world battling larger-than-life villains, and... You'd probably predict it if I gave you that synopsis, but The Rock is attached to that one. So, <laughs> Robert What's Downey Jr. and The Rock in his next two features. I mean, he's also written some superb stuff. He's written both of those. No, no, but I mean, just so, in terms of his IMDb, I mean, if you look yeah, at his writing credits, yeah, and stuff, we're right I mean, there. He wrote, um, obviously, he wrote Lethal I've Weapon. I've got the list for you. Oh, okay, I can go for it if you want. Lethal Weapon, yeah. The Last Boy Scout. Mm hmm. The Last Action Hero with Arnie. Mm-hmm. The Long Kiss Goodnight. Don't know if either of you have seen that. No. no. It's with um, Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson, and it's about a woman, and we had a phase of these, who wakes up with no memory. Only this time she's pregnant and she's a secret agent. <laughs> um, right. Time passes. She's not battling other agents while pregnant. It's not <laughs> if that puts you off or, or reels you in. Um Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Predator, and a couple of others I've said. So the 1.75 million he receives for The Last Boy Scout was the highest to date Mm -hmm. in 1990. He then tops it when he sells the script to The Long Kiss Goodnight for 4 million a few years later. Some boy. Both of those were box office disappointments that later found cult audiences. And he actually goes into a bit of a hiding after this. He says within his peers in the film industry, he was battered after it was publicized how much money he made for those scripts. And after being kind of the top of the charts twice, he he developed a tag of being formulaic. He said the only way 
people around him could explain him being the guy that was making this money wasn't that he was writing the best screenplays. It was that he basically cracked the code to get the money in Hollywood. And he said that put so many people off working for him with him for years. And it's why now he said this before his next, he's about to do a blockbuster with the rock. He said, if he had it his way, he wouldn't work with a budget over 15 million, which still sounds ridiculous, but in terms of blockbusters, you you see how that is. I mean, it's probably, I mean, it's probably harsh. It's that is to say that it was all is formulaic because there, there are differences in the film, but at the same time, in the great with the greatest respect, he isn't writing. He's he's not writing the best screenplays, is it? Like, if like that, you can't like no none of us here are going to say that like the last Boy Scouts our favorite film ever. I know TK and I really liked it before we did it on the pod, and I think it won you over, but. You can't tell me that's the, got to be the best screenplay for a film you've ever seen. You you will ever see. No, but in a time of Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, all of these, Lethal Weapon, I completely get. He just Lethal Lethal Weapon in the nicest way. It seems like he hits a moment and turns out to be a, a great so film. He wrote a script for Lethal Weapon two, in which yeah. I believe one of the characters died, and it was just going to be completely R rated, and it gets vetoed. And yeah. they go a different way. So he's making money for the characters, essentially, but he's written out of the franchise he started. Yeah. Isn't there a cro- link, a crossover between Die Hard and Le- Lethal Weapon as well? I feel like we've chatted about it on the pod. Yeah, there's some parts that were used they in there. They ended yeah. up moving one of the scripts over to one of the other ones and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, his screenplays usually involve a detective who's often involuntarily paired with someone who tends to solve things less professionally, which yeah. leads to a love-hate relationship, a.k.a. a buddy cop film. Yeah. He does like setting them at Christmas if you go through his films. This one yeah. isn't in that mix, but it's why some people tag Iron Man 3 as a Christmas film. Mm. Something I thought was interesting about with what was said about the dialogue already here, a quote from him, he says, I'd like to be the sort of raconteur who, rackles, who rattles off quips in the moment I'm not going to hit you with the dazzler. Most people just say nothing all of the time. And I don't know if that's how you take his script, that he's not really a punchline guy, more of a it being a bit more low-key, or if you don't take it like that at all. Well, I think that, I think it, it it is more back and forth, isn't it? Rather than a rather than I set him up, you knock him down. It's it, not super it's, bad. Yeah. Hangover. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I'll set them up. You knock them down, or, or one line. It's like, yes, there are like there are funny endings, but they're they're all part of the conversation. It's just he just he just writes. He just writes conversations well. I, like I know that's not that's a incredibly boring answer, but that is just true. Like if you sit and isolate and take the characters in this, and just take Crow and Goslin, or Crow and the daughter, Goslin and the daughter, and so on and so forth, he just writes characters, writes conversation really well. Yeah, that bit with Crow and Gosling sat opposite each other in the bowling alley. Yeah. Like, there's nothing happening there, but it's absolute gold the whole part. Yeah. Their first meeting, I know he breaks his arm and stuff, but when they're having a chat, they're just when they're talking, it's it's snappy and it's quick and it's short and it's quite it's quite curt, but it, it's funny. There's not a lot of, I mean, obviously there is a voice, there are voiceovers and so on, but it's not there's not like fucking monologues and stuff, is there? It's just little back and forths. You get the monologue at the start, but I get what you're saying. Hmm. 
You yep. get the monologue at the start from Gosling, I think it is. You mean the you mean the voiceover that I just mentioned? Yeah, yeah that one. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, um, but that's what I mean. But in terms of normal, it's almost like it. Well, funnily enough, it's like it's two mates having a chat. Mm. There's there's nothing, um, I guess, a, a, a differentiator between something like this and The Hangover is there's no there's no laughter gaps. So super yeah. bad, for example, you could use the scene where there's the ID. And every time Michael Sarah kind of knocks one down, you'll get a shot of Jonah Hill kind of gesticulating like with his arms or pulling mm. an expression to give you that moment. And then we'll hit you with the other one and we're just going to keep knocking you down. With this, you're almost not supposed to belly laugh at it. And there are moments where you're supposed to in this, but yes. for a lot of it, it's kind of, you kind of have that little bob in your seat and then you carry on, you're on to the next. A lot of the comedy in this is that that these two guys are inferior, at least, being serious in their jobs, but we're laughing at them. They're not trying to make us laugh, whereas obviously things like Zubat, you've got funny people trying to make you laugh. Yeah, yeah. I think you've probably, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head there, boy, to be honest. The opening scene, it's a good, it's a good way to start, and... To Sets honest, the stall out so perfectly. <laughs> the only way I can really ask which particular version you've seen is if you felt there were a lot of tits on your screen when you watched it last night or the night before, because there's a theatrical <laughs> version which there's a lot more covered up. And if you saw a cut where a lot of people are suddenly in bikinis or underwear or you saw the alternate, then you can see whether you got the DVD release version or the theatrical one. Okay. I didn't know. I've only ever seen what must be the DVD version. So you get the car crash at the start, don't you? Yeah. The bat's in your magazine and then in your front garden. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this would have been like one of us. What would have been like Lucy Pinder at the time, equivalent walking out back in the day? Yeah. Won't mention Kelly Brooks. I know where we'll be going from there. Piranha. The film. Maybe we'll do Swingers and Piranha on the same podcast. There you Swingers go. Swingers versus Piranha. We're not doing that, though. <laughs> we'll do that next week. We won't. Um, maybe Danielle Lloyd. Maybe I was a bit further down the line before she got a slightly harsher tag. Things are done hell for her when she stopped being linked with Jermaine Defoe. Or when she started. Yeah, I'm thinking at the point of when she's no longer linked to his name is where <laughs> the only way it was just linked to a footballer, which is never a good place to be in. It's Whatever. Being linked to Jermaine Pennant. Has anyone fought, fought into obscurity quicker than Lucy Pinder? Just went away. Yeah, what well, money like- got out? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say, we could do a documentary, Where is Lucy Pinder? But it'd probably be very mundane. Well, they made a load of money and fucked <laughs> off. Mm. The the trivia for Piranha is it came down to her and Kelly Brook for the important role. Sliding doors. There, there was that phase in time, wasn't there, where like they're eliminating page three and they're eliminating like walk-on girls at the darts and we're moving on. Instead, you cheerleaders now instead. It's a lot more uh, dignified. The best thing about the walk-on girls with the darts was it was actually just the walk-on girls that were like, are you fucking serious? Please <laughs> please leave us alone. It was like, like fully like 20 of them were just like, please, can you just leave us alone so we can do our jobs? 
I saw an interview with one the other day where she was like, yeah, that was like 80% of my earnings were through the darts. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) And then you took it away because you claimed that you were saving my dignity. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was loads of them who said that, mate. And they were just like, they were like, please leave us alone because we make quite good money and we quite like doing it. Um, Can we just keep the job that we want? And people were just like, no. Okay, cool. Plus, I forbid, the, um, even, even right. the staunch feminist, you can't um, you can't hate the juxtaposition of these darts players walking out with these walk-on girls. There's just something hilarious about that anyway. Yeah, I mean, the one story would have been a nice one if it wasn't James Wade at the heart of it, so we brush past that. <laughs> what was um, what was the one who became quite famous? I think she ended up in like, Love Island or something. It was Jess. In Piazzi. Thank you. Now she's settled down with Jermaine Pennant, so there you go. Things really can't Bloody happen. hell. Yeah. Just okay. after his uh, tour of, by the way, did I tell you I used to play Monopoly? <laughs> if that could have been, her, then bloody hell. Could have been maybe David Bentley that in another time. Could have been um, him. Got no idea what you're talking about, mate. Football's bad, boys, Keenan. Okay, no, the, the Monopoly bit. I just lost he, he did a tour of like Big Brother, Jeremy Kyle, and he would make these claims that at training... If you slept with a bird that had been with someone else in the team, then you paid them cash because it was like landing on their square. And you had to pay them rent. So, yes, yeah, a lovely story, as you can imagine, that went down really well. Yeah. But did sell his book, so got what he wanted out of it. I suppose so. Now, I saw a descriptor and it said, The Nice Guys is a dark comedy that takes place in a time in which Kennedy is dead Poverty is on the rise, corruption is rampant, the Hollywood sign is falling down, and porn is as successful as the auto industry. Mm. A point which they later point out is something by the director in where the clientele at the parties and the way they're dressed and everything is very similar at the porn party and the auto industry party, but we'll get to those scenes later. Russell Crowe, we did... LA Confidential not too long ago, Keenan. Mm-hmm. And that was set around 20 years before this in the same city. Yep. Looks a lot more glamorous this time around. It does. He plays Jackson Healy, mm-hmm. a tough guy who basically has freelance work beating people up, as he says. He's bitter about his recent divorce. Is she with his dad, does she say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That little cutscene's fantastic. <laughs> Where he says, marriage is buying a house for someone you hate. Good quote. And then we get to the first crossover, as you say, where one of the lines he says, he was said a lot said a lot to him after this came out, we're going to play a game. It's called Shut Up Unless You're Me. <laughs> Ryan Gosling plays Holland Marsh. Quite awful private detective we're led to believe at the time who gets a regular income accepting commissions from people with dementia at old people's homes who (laughs) wants him to find their missing spouses something i quite liked in this i don't know if you picked up on it or whatever it's referenced several times that he's an alcoholic and rather than it being done the way where it's usually done in films, in look, this is this problem he really has to get over and it's weighing him down, it's kind of just a quirk to his character that 
and it's never resolved. It's brilliant. There's <laughs> no. no lesson learned. He's still like the ending. On. He's still boozing and away. He's encouraging Crow to get back on it. At the end, at the end, he actually says, "Well, at least you're drinking again." So good. Yeah, very good. One of the many things about this film that is great. Yeah, there seem to be no real lessons learned. The time we first get them together, I enjoy. I mean, the noise Ryan Gosling is making when his arms behind his back. He hit that note. He, he hit that last note night. right the way through. <laughs> I text Byron last night that he just screams so much in this film. And <laughs> there's not a time he doesn't do it that I didn't laugh. Like, yeah. When he's like fake crying and stuff as well. When he's at like when he's having the fight. When he's having the fight just before Keith Prince dies. It's funny every time. I, I would always ask you when we did films that have kind of two leads like this as to who the winner of the film was and I think we did it with Heat and so on mm-hmm. I, I think it's Ryan Gosling quite comprehensively in this film it, for as good as is, Russell yeah. Crowe is it is yeah you're right his, his 2016 is insane when he releases this and La La Land mm. Mm. this is my favourite Ryan Gosling role because I didn't think he'd be able to do something like this and he's amazing at it didn't think he could be this funny didn't think he could be this sort of how did they describe him in that crazy review was it feckless it's a pretty good yeah pretty good uh, usage of that yeah he's just brilliant in this I want to say we've done a lot of Gosling recently and he, he wins me over every time mm. I think just, I think he's superb honestly I think we yeah, we laughed almost when you would hear someone like Brad Pitt and he's doing Fight Club and he's doing Seven and he's complaining that I have to go and do this role because I don't just want to be typecast as a good looking guy in Hollywood effectively mm. and I think we said at the time well, what a hard life that must be Yeah. <laughs> and Gosling I mean I even think still there's some people that tag him as that despite I mean the run he goes on from about 2010 onwards yeah. we did it when we did um the place beyond the pines, like yeah. it's it's just insane. Drive, crazy, stupid love, the Ides of March, place beyond the pines, gangster squad. Only God forgives is a speed bump, and then you've got the big, short, nice guys, La La Land, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Just he wins me over, like I say, he just wins me over every time. Um, he really does. I can't like I do feel I think he's just superb. There's a bit there's some big range in that as well. That's mm. yeah, yeah, some serious range. We've yeah, like it's not like you'd be talking a typecast and not just being good looking, but the same type of characters. But like there's some there's some big change ups in there, and I think he just I know you I've never seen Only God Forgives, but that's mainly because you've never said anything positive about it. Um, well, he takes the drive thing, drive where he's vocabulary is limited and yes. they must have taken that and they're like let's give you even less to say the only thing i remember is a guy having um what looks like knitting needles pressed in each ear christ yeah until he dies but when you're gonna have no no talking you, you need a bit of, you need a bit of something like that true his moments throughout this the, the scene where he's trying to aim a gun and pull up his trousers and keep the bathroom door open at the same time for like a full <laughs> minute kills me. I've had don't say and stuff in my head all day, particularly when the daughter repeats it and say, don't say and stuff, just say they're doing anal. 
<laughs> he's got just a bit of everything in here that when he's getting like snappy with like a 13 year old and says Jesus Christ and he says use the Lord's name in vain and he says no I didn't <laughs> Janice I found it very useful also when he tells the other 13 year old that her sister's just a slut so off on oh fucking Jesus with a different actor, I think that all the kind of mishaps that he has could get quite tiresome within about yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And I still found myself laughing at each one. It's just, it just seems incredibly charming. So likable. You should yeah. hate this guy because you shouldn't be funny and like good looking. It shouldn't really work. Tend to be, you'd say if you had a good looking guy in this role, you'd go, it's not really believable. You'd feel like this stuff wouldn't happen to him. But it's totally yeah. believable that this guy is down as like everything seems to go wrong for him. Oh, the the point at which he's swimming in the mermaid tank <laughs> kills me. I saw a theory today, and and, and we'll go a bit of a tangent here. But they were saying the best thing about previous kind of blockbuster actors and the reason that they were able to have range, they've broken this down to they had their own teeth. So they still look like regular human beings and not someone that is just a work of art. So <laughs> take that as you will. I think there might be something to it, but maybe not the entire reason. Yeah, it might be a bit reductionist. <laughs> um, the back and forth that he has with Callie as well. Also, also amazing. Hmm. Especially the you ever really killed anybody and she says she has. And it's like, I mean, deep down, you don't know her upbringing. <laughs> just call her a murderer. She just said she's killed three people. <laughs> yeah. The party is, I said, the flight in uh, made. The party scene is the standout for me. And that there's a lot that goes on at this party, but just every single checkpoint is hilarious. I think the first thing we have is the daughter bagging to get out of the car with the valet guy saying, I can't take that car. But you can still carry on walking to this party. <laughs> yeah. having, I've just seen something in your boot and you carry on going in. Him saying, uh, well, we know Mary Jane turned up, picked me laugh on the, show, the, the girl walking past saying, all I told him was, if you want me to do that, then don't eat the asparagus. <laughs> You've got uh, Healy quizzing him, saying you're a detective and you can't smell. And the look on his face saying it, how insensitive that is. <laughs> and then the the moment of discovering the body. The noises, everything about it. I don't know if that was the direction he was given by Shane Black or if that was something that he came up with in how he should react. <laughs> but it's perfect. That's a good point with the point with Shane Black. So this is obviously a great screenplay he's wrote, but it is also just solely reliant on the dynamic between those two lead characters. So how much of it do you go, this is just on them carrying this thing? It's I thought it was interesting that usually a film like this, I can take five to 10 minutes running Keenan through you know, they consider this guy for the first role and this guy and this guy for the second role. I didn't, I couldn't find a single thing about other people this film was written for. 
Mm. And if there's one thing Shane Black doesn't know how to do, obviously it's put together a buddy comedy. I think you spoke about the last Boy Scout and putting together mm. was it Bruce Willis and Marlon Wayans? Yeah. He, he must. There you go. I thought as I said it. I was going to say actually, this is wrong. I was going to say I couldn't believe. Oh, I, I struggled to believe that it was written for these two. But then, then again. I would struggle to believe the same for the for the last Boy Scout. So maybe 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 he did have it in mind. And if he did, it's just a genius bit of casting, isn't it? There's also something in that, as much as his films, when you go down and you can look at the, I think the average for his films is about a seven out of ten on IMDb. Yeah, they aren't very successful. A lot of them outside of Iron Man three, like they've underdelivered. He says a lot of them have essentially broken even. But that's the uh, that's the problem with this, isn't it? He... And so maybe that's the thing. Like they are just taking the two biggest guys that will work. Maybe he does think there's two people out there that would be a better fit, but you also can't put their faces on the poster. Maybe, but yeah, that break even thing is uh, one of the problems with this, isn't it? Because uh, I like I I rewatched this last night, and I, again, same thing as I've, I think seen this three maybe four times and it's just like i'd love a sequel oh phenomenal i told you when we did la confidential that russell crowe was on the howard stern show a few years back and he said there's only two films that he'd like to make a sequel for and that's la confidential and the nice guys and shane black spoke to a magazine called fandango and he said he was asked about a sequel he said in a heartbeat if someone will pay for it he said, yeah. we had all kinds of ideas. The problem is it didn't do that well at the box office. That's it. He yeah. said, I imagine it'll break even, which is not a formula for reacquiring two very expensive movie stars and proceeding with a sequel. I'm ready to go. If someone decided it were enough of a cult hit to justify that, I'd be on it. Um, Russell Crowe. That, that was going to be my thing about the cult hit. Because I wonder if it will ever get there. So Russell Crowe was asked about it and... He said, Shane and I probably discussed that three times a year. He said, I probably had the same conversation with the producer, Joel Silver, twice a year since we made it. It's undeniable there's still an audience. He said, if someone mentions that film in a conversation, others in the conversation kind of drop in a smile immediately. There's moments they remember, whether it's Ryan swimming in the underground swimming pool or the bee in the back of the car smoking a cigarette. (laughs) I love that connection on screen with Ryan. It's such an easy screen chemistry. We could take those two characters and we could make a dozen more films and I'd still have fun. Yeah, I get it. Like, I really do. I just, I, I hope, I hope they make it. But I don't, I, I'm not sure they ever will. This is going to be a weird one in terms of how well the films, how well the films are known, etc. I was looking for reaction about it from the time and now and all of this. So many people confuse it with the other guys. My brother did that last night. Like so many people. And there's people like commenting on threads about the film saying, you know, this is great. Mark Wahlberg's hilarious in this. And someone's (laughs) saying, there's a whole other film you're missing out on here. And I saw someone coming back after saying, oh my God, I, I would have had no idea this film existed. And that's so strange because to me, the nice guys feel so much bigger than the other guys. Yeah. No, I get that. Even yeah, just in terms yeah. of profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Does it? And does a profile mean because you've got some names in the other guys that would just carry it just on the name, don't want it? When there's... I mean, we were younger, but I just didn't remember the other guys. I don't remember anything before it was on DVD. Is what? Is... Yeah, yeah, true. I went to see. I went to see the other guys because it was Will Ferrell. That was it. Like that was that was just it. Twenty ten, it was. You'd done Step Brothers and etc. And it was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm on that. They did put The Rock and Kevin Hart in the trailer. It was no, it's The Rock and Samia. There you go in the trailer. Yeah, uh, that I didn't know. Obviously, they're in it for the first eight minutes. I guess they're sneaky, but they did. Yeah, yeah. I know. I got a lot of time for that. Paying for a day <laughs> shoot. See you later, boys. They, there's a lawsuit going on at the moment. Um, there was a film called I think it's Yesterday or something like that. They put Anna Diarmas in the trailer her scenes were cut from the film. People went to see mm. the film and they're complaining, oh, I paid good money to see Anna Diarmas in this film. Where the hell is she? And someone sued. <laughs> and there's a lawsuit. It's being held up and it's being taken to court. And the studio is being hit for like 75 million or something mental like that. And, and there's, a, there's a bill being passed that effectively you can't make deceiving trailers. It has to what you see in the trailer has to be in the film. You you can't effectively fleece people into giving you their cash for something that they aren't going to be seeing. Um, I don't know how you work around that when you Surely want to you have just, like a twist. If you were going to instead of, of cutting every scene, you just you would just put her in the film for a minute. Yeah, and I do wonder if maybe in in time you'll get you know like a video game trailer where it says like some scenes are in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some scenes mm. aren't. I mean, it'd be rough if you got that, but. It's, it's it's very good. Were you two in agreement that the party scene was was your favourite piece of the film? Um, I do like the auto show. It's it's, it's not... a bit long to like to to drop it down as a scene. It does go on fucking ever. But so is the party to be fair? Yeah, maybe. No, probably the auto show is longer. But I do love, you know, me. I just like a shoot up and watching him the spin on the revolving car. It's very childish, very simple, but makes me laugh every time. <laughs> Maybe the the biggest backup to what we've said about just enjoying the conversations and things. It's not until an actual villain shows up more than an hour into the film that you realise the movie just didn't have one before that. Like it's only when we get this knock at the knock at the door that we've got a real like bad guy rather than kind of like a henchman that we kind of stumble upon before. Sure, it is faceless until then, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. But, um, there's people arguing that the city of LA is the bad guy, but <laughs> yeah, the ending key, you got that big shootout, a few moments of they can't possibly win here. Mm. And it yeah. just teeters on that edge of um, almost parody. Watching him, with watching him t- run after watching him run after the film, like the real again. Shouldn't be that funny, but very That's- much is. That's what I mean where it teeters on the edge of parody where it's like rolling and you've got two yeah, people yeah. looking and grabbing it at the last second. Oh, but, mate, it's, I, I would argue that it's a, it is a parody, but it's very, very, it's just well done. Like a Fast and Furious film or something where they're chucking the, like a USB to each other to plug yeah. it in at the last second and <laughs> yeah. all of these things. You've got Nixon in the pool, haven't you, in this? <laughs> <laughs> The the body that you see at the party, by the way, 
Did you know that was Robert Downey Jr.? I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I didn't. Downey Jr. shows up for a day to have a little uncredited cameo just doing his mate Shane Black a favour. Nice. That's class. Um, amongst all this, the child... Do you reckon the they child... him on the poster? I don't, think, I don't know if you'd have recognised him. Maybe his name, I guess, I guess oh. that's what you meant. The, the child actors in this are used really well. Like his daughter, the She's way they yeah, the way they manage her is a really rare thing in that they've used a young girl whose character's smart, mature for her age, all of these things. But I saw a note saying they haven't treated it like a thirty year old woman in a preteen's body. It is yeah. still viably a child. Um Andrew Rice her name is and she's not like smart she it's to the point where she's annoying she's clever but not too much that it's implausible um she's got <coughs> some street smarts but not too much where she's moving like a detective herself it's just worked really well and then every child in this film is also just so desensitized to all of this madness that's surrounding them. You see a girl about including one five eight dark hair named Amelia. Nope. I saw that famous chick. What famous chick? Dead one, porn star, Misty something. You saw Misty Mountains here? Yeah. Talked to the producer. I... No, his name was Sid. Sid Hatrack. Yeah. Nobody's name is Hatrack. Whatever. Tried to get a job. I offered to show my dick because I got a big dick. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. Yeah. You sure you didn't see another girl? Nope. You guys want to see my dick? Nobody wants to see your dick, dude. 20 bucks? We already paid you 20. What am I saying? Oh, all right. <laughs> Bags! Great scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm quite glad I hadn't rewatched this in some time to the point where everything was still hitting. All I remembered was that he was in the swimming pool, effectively. And I remembered someone jumping out of a window, but not nearly in the same way that it happened. So almost everything was fresh to me on the rewatch and it just delivered perfectly. I, I couldn't believe the film is just under two hours long because it didn't feel like that at all. feels like an hour and a half job, doesn't it really? And it's, it's impressive how you can have a film like this feel fresh when the genre has been done to death. Yeah. That is when, you know, when they say, if they say, Shane Black's formulaic or whatever as well this would just fall into you know the same as the rest of them and you would file it away and you wouldn't really think anything of it but this does feel like it stands out it's so well done to have success with Lethal Weapon and then not just rewrite Lethal Weapon for the next 20 years yeah which is what so many people would do he has adapted with the times because you say The Last Boy Scout and that is very much of the time as well <laughs> <laughs> And then this this feels very modern as well, despite the fact it is set in the 70s. Yes, it does. Yeah, you're right. Great moustache on Ryan Gosling as well. Great. 
if only I could pull that off. My eyesight's not good enough, and so I often give myself slightly longer moustache on one end than the other. Not ideal. Um, I did have something. I mean, the other quotes. This was the first film in a while that I've done it like when we did the comedies. Okay. And the scene of look on the bright side, nobody got hurt. When March is saying, you know, who else was just following orders. Yeah, yeah, nice. Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And Russell Crowe is so good at selling all of these as well. Obviously, he's one of the best in in the world at what he does. But even just still, adding that five percent to every joke with his little off the cuff reactions to each of them. Yeah. No, it like it, and again, that's just as I say, it's just it, it's written for it, and it just works so well. I think that he adds that little that little pop back, that little, like not even a shot, just a li- there is something coming back at Goslin just improves it all because um, it takes it does take away almost the the setup and punchline, which just makes it flow a little bit better. One of the types of joke that make me laugh the most, and they're so stupid, is when March says, in a hurry, thanks, buddy. And the guy says, how did you know my name was Buddy? <laughs> I laugh at something like that every single time. <laughs> it reminded me of in uh, South Park in the Wheel of Fortune episode when Randy gives his final answer and the guy's head just pokes around from behind the camera. <laughs> it's just I I could feasibly watch this film again tonight and still laugh at the same bits that I laughed at last night and that's about as good of a compliment as you could play to a comedy where so much I mean it's it's based off the fact that you don't see what's coming I guess yeah I firmly agree I I don't know how many times I've rewatched this and I I was thinking last night like I don't know how many times I would need to rewatch in a row to not find this hilarious it's just sensational if anything i've probably got it in that weird pocket with comedies where you either want to be seeing it for the first time or you want to be seeing it for like the third or fourth time to be looking forward to a particular bit where you've got the familiarity with it like if i'm watching super bad or sex drive i'm building up because i want to hear this particular line or something and so i probably do need to give this a few more watches just to get that reflex with it and just know where i'm at i'll probably enjoy it a little bit more after when you've got the film down you can notice the little quirks that you don't even notice on the first second or third watch Mm. there was some criticism that the plot was a bit clunky towards the end i don't know if either of you felt that or if that wasn't an issue for you it didn't feel it to me keenan um, I get it, but <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. Uh, yes, I do get it, and I get where where someone would be coming from. But this film has the luxury of being something that I'm not. I'm not watching for the plot at all. If, if it, I but, I would give it the compliment in that. For so many of these films, I agree with that. Where I I'm not watching it for that. But that's like a bonus to me with this film in that I didn't think it was entirely predictable. I thought there comes a point where you can kind of put the pieces together, but that's not for large parts of the film. 
like even to the point where they're going up in the lift, for example, I'm not aware that they're going to get to the top and there's going to be a guy with his throat slit. You're going to see two guys get shot and then they're going to, go, going to go down in the lift. I'm going to see someone flying out in the window. You know, you're going to be getting, they're going to be getting into something abnormal, but you haven't quite sussed out. Okay. It's this person doing it for this reason. X, Y, Z. So I didn't agree with the criticism when I was reading it. Fair enough. I don't think like I, I'm not. I guess it is a criticism, but I don't. It doesn't. Really, it doesn't. Never really took anything. It's never taken anything away from the film for me. So on that basis, I suppose it can't be that bad. No. Um. The soundtrack. And that one that's very good. Yeah. Mm. Play that funky music. Papa's a Rolling Stone, Rock and Roll All Night, Boogie Wonderland, Get Down On It, Pina Colada Song. You got some hits. You do. Get Down On It, superb, by the way. Yeah. It, do you know of any reason you can think of as to why this film isn't maybe held up in the way that we would say it should be? Because I think Russell Crowe was right in, if someone has seen it, you do bring a smile to their face when you mention it. I think it's one of the best comedic films of the last decade. Definitely. Um, I don't. I don't know, mate. There's no. I don't have an indicator as to why this wasn't massive. Like Gosling, big star. Like you say, there's La La Land, but just before or just after this one comes out, sort of thing, and he's for a moment. I mean, it's a brief moment. He's fucking everywhere. Mm. Um. Did it? No, I can't even say that. Maybe it was overshadowed by that after the fact. But Russell Crowe, I still think he's obviously not the star that he, he once was, but still, he's a pretty big star. Um, I I don't know when you watch this, like you say, how it's not like how it's not massive. How we haven't had a number two, how we've not had a second already. Like, I think when we did the LA Confidential, it's obviously different. But this could have this. Should have, should have is probably maybe too strong because of the differences, but this could have been to almost a level of success in terms of mystery stuff and like with, with a bit of humor in there. And I was out. I thought this during yeah. it, and I thought it's, it's, it's not as quirky and probably it just wasn't marketed as well. Yes, may, maybe. Um, no, was out as obviously a bigger ensemble going for it, which was pr- pretty big. Um, and it's like, Daniel Craig fresh me. off Bond, that was. Say that again, mate. That was Daniel Craig and I believe it must have been like his first role since Bond. It was. Um, Chris Evans having Captain America in a film at that time was never going to do that, 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 that many. But little freakish things it. can pop off. Like one of the massive things with Knives Out was the knitwear. People went mad for Chris Evans in a jumper in that film. <laughs> yeah. And all of that just contributes and... In this, you have two guys who are sort sort of typecast actors, despite their roles not backing that up. So, kind of typecast by the public. Yeah. Um, I do just want to say again, for all we've said about Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe's comedic timing and delivery and everything is much better than I would have given him credit for before seeing this film. I believe I remember going into the cinema not really having too high hopes. That's probably maybe an answer to your question, Andy. Maybe a lot of people felt that way, never did go to watch it, 
and as a result, it's almost uh, an unknown to people. You say it wasn't obviously it was a box office didn't do didn't do so well. So maybe it's, am I right in saying that, has it ever been on like platforms? It feels like because it's not on a platform at the minute, is it? Yeah, which is one of those yeah. weird things. It, it had a Netflix Prime. run, it right? Okay, because I at least there was that. That's well, how I watched it. Like, this is unbelievable. Time. It's like an unbelievable film. And it should be like everywhere. It's, you feel like this type of film maybe always might struggle to put in a huge audience by comparison to say, I don't want to go on a rant, but like a Marvel film, which is always going to put in a certain number. But as Keenan touched on, like Gosling was probably the guy at this point. So I just thought on name alone, that would have dragged a certain number of people in. It's weird that it didn't. Yeah, it's. I, it's I, mean, very I think weird. it's just. I think it's the same as everything. What one ass timing, one ass luck. Yeah, like yeah. And I know that's it's a it's it's not great for anyone involved with a film, but there's no there's no controversy around it that hindered or helped it. There's there's no reason there's no bad performances. There's it's not a bad story. It's very funny. It's really easy to watch. I don't. There's nothing that says this shouldn't have been meant. And but for some reason it just didn't connect. Yeah, and it's, it's, that's happened. I mean, that's happened to thousands of films or hundreds of films before mm. it. It would probably happen in the future. It's just it's the way the cookie crumbles. I said to you quite confidently when we did the LA Confidential part, we'll, we'll get a sequel for that. And then I, I thought there was maybe something in the works, but it was only when I read those interviews, the Shane Black one in particular, where it's not even like there's a holdup. But I wonder if... been a long time since that film as well. Yeah. If you look for a sequel to that, that's a long time. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, with this, I don't know... I don't know, like, from what we've said about Shane, Shane Black and stuff, I wonder if he really tried to push it. Because it sounds, for all intents and purposes, like he didn't. He was waiting for someone to come to him. But, I mean, I think if you put... But, if you wrote another script similar and put it in front of someone, someone's going to get it made for you. That, that interview that I quoted was from a couple of years ago, and he was talking about it as still not having broke even. Hmm. I said, on that basis, people aren't going to go to you, are you? You're going to have to be really out there pushing yeah. it. You you may also be a case of, you say to your Russell Crowe's and Ryan Gosling's like, I mean, how much do you want to make this film? You said you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's what you, I mean, that's what you've got to do. That's what you'd have to do. Isn't mm. it? You'd have to go to Russell Crowe and say, look, this is the one you want to make. You, you've got to take a haircut. I mean, it ain't like the, I mean, the fucker runs an NRL team. It ain't like he's short of a few quid. <laughs> For me, these these then are the kind of films that should be getting the kind of Netflix finance where yeah. the audience was there for Knives Out. Give that the cinematic release. Films yeah. like this that maybe you want to give that boost because they love kind of rebooting old TV shows. Give this to boot. I mean, if Shane Black certainly doesn't need that big of a budget, it sounds like I'm sure there's a lot more in the background. You've got everything you need here. You've got stars that are willing to do it a director that says he doesn't need much money. It should be as easy as that, but I don't know. Shane Black, I mean, he's busy for the next while now that he's got those two films locked in. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're probably right. That's probably where it finds its home. But like I say, it was on Prime, which means someone somewhere's paid for it. Because Prime would have bought or have paid money to the studio in one way or another. Do you know what I mean? And you imagine, I imagine. You had, like it was on Prime for a while, so a few people a must have been watching it, 
to keep it on there. Like if you've obviously noticed, sometimes some people go on there and it will get fucking ripped away ten days later because yeah, no one's no one's watched it. But they kept it there for a while, which means some people were watching. People were watching it. Um, and there's obviously money, 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 sort of passed hands for it. So you you would think that would be a way to go. I can't, obviously I'm only speaking about Prime in the UK. You don't know about elsewhere in the world. They're all just shit with their marketing now. So Mm. you you don't know what's, what's new. You don't build anything up unless it's kind of the odd thing like knives out. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, maybe I'll just be one of them where the kind of legacy of it is stronger by the fact that we don't have a sequel. Or maybe it's one of them where they'll drop it 10 years later. Yeah, I mean, they're they're now at the stage of casting for Gladiator Two, by the way. So <laughs> there's talk of them getting Russell Crowe involved in that for some kind of extra sequences. If so. they put the fucker in as a ghost, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be following um, his nephew, yeah. I believe. Uh, they're going to do the Obi Wan, aren't they? Going to appear. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Um, shall we get on to the judging? I go on. All right, just get it loaded. Up. All right. <clears throat> Sorry. Okay. Which film did you prefer? The Nice Guys for me. Me too. Me too. Keenan, rewatchability? Same answer, mate. TK? Yeah, phenomenal. Could rewatch tonight. I agree. Best moment slash scene. TK? It feels big, but the the party and the nice guys, you you could kind of even take a part of that if you wanted to and still be my favourite part. Keenan, is there a best quote for you? Uh, I yeah, genuinely, and it's probably no, it's probably no one else's. But um, when he's talking to the auntie and he's talking about yeah, we'll try and find her. When he's talking about yeah, he, he, when he goes sorry, can't even talk. When he's like, oh, does this mean Mist is dead? And he's just like, yes. Again, <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah. sorry. Uh, we're gonna find. Then he goes, we're gonna find out who did this at a largely discounted rate. <laughs> TK. Yeah, those little girls' in reactions when money gets mentioned as well, he just pauses and throws his morals out the window are mm. oh, superb part of this film. I've got another one that probably doesn't like leap off the page, but when I was watching it, it was hilarious. When they're sat, um, him and Crow sat discussing it, and Crow says, I've got a dead porn star, and he stops him and he goes, A young lady, <laughs> a porno young lady. <laughs> it's a great throwaway line. Mine is probably the quote about whacking the uh, pilot. Yeah, nice. But I could easily have found one from the nice guys. Nice. MVP. Gosling. Maxim made. I'm rolling with Gosling still. I find yeah. it harder to but split it... Gosling and Crow. I do. In terms of yeah, in, terms, in terms of character, not actor, because I do agree with I mean, Byron that as an actor, Gosling wins the film. Yeah, I was gonna. I thought. I was thinking of Bobby first. I was going to say he actually comes out of it with no job, no girlfriend, and an additional <laughs> child. <laughs> I guess Max has to take some responsibility there. So yeah, I'll roll with Gosling. Best side character. Uh, it's either the kid who 
do something about getting getting getting, getting his knob out. Or honestly, it's, it's uh, Hannibal Barres is the B. Fucking mint. I'm, I'm going to roll with his daughter. <laughs> it is that is that is that's the proper answer. But the B just killed me last night. Honestly, for about ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, if if the daughter is a valid answer for this, I wasn't sure if she was going to be encroaching into main character territory. Yeah, but yeah, I'll go with her for the side character. Yeah, she she probably should be the answer. But honestly, because mm-hmm. I'd forgotten about the bumblebee, and it honestly broke me. <laughs> Maybe because I was tired as I was watching it, but I found it very funny last night. Best soundtrack. Yes, yeah, the nice guys. Yeah, definitely. Originality. Mm. Made. I'm rolling with the nice guys. I think Made is a bigger twist on a gangster film than the nice guys is on a detective film or a buddy cop film. Yeah, I'm going with Made on that rationale. I don't think there's been as many films in that space in between gangster and comedy as there has been for the buddy cop. But I do think that's probably also part of their shortcomings. There's a reason for that. Yeah. So the whitewash is avoided. Keenan feels good. Bigger impact. Well, I think it should be the nice guys, but we've just discussed it. Yeah, that's, that's probably not the case. <laughs> if yeah. the nice guys doesn't make a footprint, then made is yeah another level. Best? Do you agree with that, CK? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Both probably should have had slightly bigger impact than they did, but you know, out of out of the two, best opening scene. Cause it's a little bit of a difficult one, this because, like I said earlier, I think the first, I think the opening of Made is probably some of its strongest points. Um, but I will go with the nice guys. Yeah, I'm going with the nice guys. I think it's just superb opening up in general. Sets a stall out for the type of film this is going to be. Even through to the introductions of Crow and Gosling straight away. Gosling waking up fully suited in a bath, having forgot his daughter's birthday. It's just okay. I know this character instantly. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna go with the nice guys. I told you, you gotta think about it, don't you? Yeah. Best yeah, ending. So make nice guys. <laughs> the ending of them in the bar. The, the ending of, of them in the bar for that two three minutes is genuinely mint. Said I made your head smaller because I know you're self conscious yeah. about that. Sorry, little Latina. <laughs> And by the way, that is Christmas. It's a, there's a Christmas tree outside when he's going in okay, the front. Okay. So he has still managed to find a way nice. to crowbar that in. And that's pretty much how he does it, to be fair. So yeah. it works nicely. Yeah. Um, TK, best ending? Yeah. Yeah, superb. That, at least you're drinking again. Again, it's just the magic line. And then one you're probably not going to feel good about answering, Keenan, uh, best chemistry. Uh, if, if it is it is Crow and God Ugh. fuck no <laughs> no no it, it is Crow and Gosling because of the characters but both sets it's like two there's two double acts you can put them drop them in any situation drop them in situations for me and I'll watch it yeah <coughs> excuse you me you agree sorry. TK yeah maybe Vaughn and Farrah are unlucky in this and that we've seen them work together multiple times and this isn't the best version of it. So therefore, and it's still great. Whereas Gosling and Crow, obviously we've got 
a small sample size where they're absolutely sky high. Do you know what, this, I, do you know what so. I want to see now? As we're talking of double acts, because we've seen Vincent Owen, we've seen Vincent Favreau, both great. I see. Just team up team up Vincent Goslin for me. Yeah. <laughs> me. Yeah. That is cooking. Well, the nice guys wins this 11-1. Just as a final note here, I mentioned to TK that when I was looking for things about this film, I stumbled upon and I asked me anything on Reddit that Vince Vaughn yes. did. <laughs> and there's a lot of stick because he's not as open as a lot of people are when they've done these in the past. He's asked things about like, when are you going to settle down and make a man of uh, Owen Wilson, honest man of Owen Wilson. And he just answers things like, he's doing all right for himself. Oh no. But he's also answering things like, Jennifer Aniston's ass was great in 2D. Can you confirm how great it was in 3D? <laughs> and he's saying, it's pretty great. <laughs> but that someone writes a story on there that they say of the time they met Vince Vaughn, they say he came into his um, cafe that he worked at and he asked him for an autograph. And he said, Vince told him no. And he said, if I give you one, I'm going to have to give her one and her one and her one. And you can see where I'm going with this. And the story he tells is that he was outside later on and Vince Vaughn asked him for a Hmm. smoke. And he said, if I give you one, (laughs) I'm going to have to give him one and him one. And he said, Vince snapped his fingers at him, said touche, nodded his head. And went back inside. <laughs> nice. Nice. And that feels entirely believable, so I was prepared yeah, to go with it. I want that to be true as well. There's also someone on there saying, Vince, I'm your cousin. I've been trying to get in touch with you for 20 years. You don't answer my calls. <laughs> I have Christmas with your uncle, Jimmy, or whatever he says. And I just, I love your films. I just really want to meet you again. And yeah, he gets aired. But some interesting bits in there. Now, next week, unconfirmed what we're doing, so maybe I'll confirm that on the Twitter in the week. Still got some discussions to do on that. that. Tell the people now. Well, I'm not decided because I need to speak to you. So there are six episodes left of the first round anyway. So we'll have one of those next week. I'll put it out midweek. Thanks again for listening. We're back. Adios.